So we've started a few weeks ago a conversation around what I would call probably a life message for me, something that I consistently abide in and try to return to on a regular basis. And that is my friend. Can I introduce him to you? He's called the Holy Spirit. He has never left me over 33 years of walking with God. He has done some phenomenal work in my heart and in my life. Now, you don't sound very excited about that, but this is the redeemed version. This is the new, improved, and slightly larger version. I know the Lord said he would bring the increase. I have to stop that prayer because the increase is now becoming a bit of a problem. But the Holy Spirit, who on the first evening I handed my heart to Jesus, turned up and poured out such purity and love and and gentleness and goodness into my soul that all these years later, 33 years, I'm still dining out on his goodness, still coming to terms with the fact that I'm a Christian. Is there anybody else coming to terms with the fact that you're a Christian? Anybody slightly surprised they're a Christian? You're not as surprised as we are. We must confess to you. Who's slightly surprised that you're a Christian? I never thought I'd be involved in anything like this. I certainly didn't think I would come to a church. And I definitely had no idea I would stand on a platform and people would sit hanging on my every word. But the Bible says... The plans the Lord has for us are to prosper and to bless us, to give us a hope and a future. How many of us would like to be blessed, prospered, to live full of hope and to have a glorious future? Well, the Holy Spirit is the only person I know that can take you into all of those arenas of life. He is the giver of life, the leader of life, and he leads us by his presence and through the word of God till we become so alive and so awakened and so open to whom God is for us. And the most glorious adventure of all is as we discover who God is, we end up discovering who we were supposed to be. He takes away the rubble of our souls, the things that happen to us, that life has thrown at us, the difficulties, the rejections, the abandonment, all of the stuff that happens, the Holy Spirit goes deep within us and begins to unclutter our life until we start to become more like our truest God-given design. He knows where to find what is lost and he knows how to lead us to what has been provided. Aren't you grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? So a couple of weeks ago, we started a little conversation. We're going to continue it today. We've been looking in the book of Nehemiah, which I recommend to you is a great read. Nehemiah is a picture for us of the restoration work that the Holy Spirit undertakes in the heart and the life of a believer. In fact, before Jesus even mentioned that we would receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through the word of Nehemiah was building and restoring and renewing a whole bunch of people as they came back to their city, Jerusalem. And that great work that he began in them had lots of trials, lots of ups, lots of downs. Have you noticed that? That just because you were a Christian doesn't mean all the problems went away? Who's got a problem-free life? If you have, you're either dead or stupid. Or maybe somewhere in between. The reality is, even though we have started this adventure with Jesus, even though our lives have been turned back up the right way and we're connected with God through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it does not mean that the following day we wake up and all of our problems are gone. It does not mean that all of our anxiety disappears. It does not mean that all of that pain that shaped our internal world suddenly vanishes or evaporates. In fact, the truth is this, that the minute we connect with God, the Holy Spirit starts working in the rubble of our lives to try and bring us back to the fullness that God intended us to be. And Nehemiah for us in the Old Testament is a foreshadow or a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. Anybody grateful for that? Don't you just love that the consistency of the Bible is wonderful? Don't you? I think it's wonderful. So his name, the word name Nehemiah means the consoling breath or spirit of God. Why don't we say that together? The consoling breath or spirit 
of God. And that's who you have. If you're a born again believer, that's who you have living inside of you today. The consoling breath, the ruach or spirit of God. And his name basically comes from the root of pity or, or lament or pain where the spirit is grieved is grieved over the broken areas of our lives. Now, you may not be grieved over the broken areas of your life. You may not even know what they are or where they are or how you got to where you are in all of that. But the Spirit never sleeps. He never slumbers. He knows where everything is that should have been in place in your heart and in your life. And under the rubble of our experience, under the brokenness of our soul, the Spirit begins to work in us. He weeps over us. He is sorry for our losses. He is heartbroken for our weariness. He is a person who feels all of the emotions that the Father feels for us. And he allows us to work with him till we start to uncover our truest self. Nehemiah, if you like, demonstrates grace in action. Not just grace that we've come into relationship with God, but grace that actually moves in us. Grace that starts to form in us. Grace that starts to transform us into the people we were supposed to be. And that work is a work that brings us back to our original design. Where we were created before the fall to be in deep relationship with God. And to know that there was nothing between God and I but goodness. He comes to do three things. He's in your life too. Produce three things. Let me tell you what they are. He wants you to be established. Now, the word established teaches us that what we have and what we need from God is a sense of rootedness. In the New Testament, we hear this phrase that we shall be rooted and established, not in church activity, not even in what we think is a spiritual acts of, of service or anything, but rooted and established in the love of God. So the Spirit is at work in your life to establish you in the love of God. How many of us have experienced that love when we've been worshipping at church or worshipping privately and suddenly you st start to have this revelation that God loves you, that God is passionate about you, that God desires all of you. And he desires all of you because he wants you to have all of him. The love of God, which surpasses all understanding. Our minds can't comprehend it, but our hearts know it when we experience it. And so the Holy Spirit is living in our lives to reestablish the love relationship with God, establishing us in a confidence that we are good in the eyes of God. You see, Jesus took your sin. He took your shame. He took that which divided you from the one who created you. And he has built a bridge through his very own body back into relationship with the Father. You were created to be connected to him. You were made in love for love and to expound love in the world in which he's placed you. And so being established in love may seem lightweight or, or, or slightly, you know, a little bit surface. But the truth is we all need love. We were all created for love. We were created in love. And if we don't get love from God, we will find it in all kinds of places. It's actually such a powerful and, and, and potent desire of the human soul that sometimes we will give ourselves to all kinds of things looking for love. The Holy Spirit has come to establish you in love. Amen? Amen. The second thing he's come for is to strengthen you. How many of us need strengthening? Now, I'm not asking about endurance. How many of us need our spiritual life strengthening? We need to have a robust spirituality. I don't know if you're like me, but when I first became a Christian, my emotions led my life. You know, I could have 15 different feelings in the space of two hours. I could go from loving God to doubting God to hating myself to disliking somebody else. I mean, that was before I even got out of bed in the morning. My emotions had so ruled my life there was no order, there was no direction, there was no sense of purpose. I was tossed about by all kinds of feelings. Feelings that hurt and feelings that sometimes rewarded me. 
And so as I started to walk with Jesus, I recognized that I need the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit to keep me in the love of God, to keep me flourishing in that love, growing in that love, and becoming the person that I am created to be. We all need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened in grace and strengthened in mercy, strengthened in joy. How many of us need strengthening in joy? strengthened in peace. We need to be strengthened, not just established, but strengthened. And the third thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do is he comes to make us settled. You know, when you're living outside of relationship with God, you're running from here to there, trying to find purpose and trying to find your identity and trying to find your destiny. But actually one of the byproducts of living in relationship with God is you just, you just settle in a little bit. You just settle down a little bit. How many of us need to be settled? How many of us know that the enemy wants to make us unsettled? He just everything in his power to unsettle us. Why is it good for us to be settled? Because we are no longer orphans. We do not have to run to this or that or to the other to find affection or even pour ourselves out on other people just so we can be the kind of people that we think will draw attention. The Father and His heart for you has already been decided. God loves you and He's with you and He's for you in everything that you do. And I don't know about you, but that just makes me want to go like this. (sighs) Paul uses this phrase, I have learned to be content. In other words, I've resolved the issues of my identity. I've resolved the issues of my eternity. I've resolved the issues of my purity. I have learned to be content in all things. So the Spirit of God comes into our lives and He comes to do those three things, to establish us, to strengthen us, and to settle us. And the Old Testament, particularly the book of Nehemiah, is full and packed of all kinds of revelation about that process. It's possible that even without realizing that Nehemiah was a picture for us of the great work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. The Spirit who comes to bring recovery, to bring restoration, to bring renewal, and to make us the people that Christ has died to make us. Now, the book of Nehemiah is rich in all kinds of things. It's got wonderful truth. Please read it. It's got historical information. Practical things concerning leadership are throughout the whole of its content. Worthwhile principles for Christians to live by. But the thing that stands out for me, more than any of these things for me, is it's a pathway to personal restoration. So Nehemiah for us is a picture of the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer as God begins to uncover from the rubble of our past all of the wonderful and glorious things that he has placed in us before we started to connect with stuff that started to destroy us. And this fact stands out very clearly. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed. Aren't you grateful that salvation and restoration is not your project? There's a Holy Spirit available to you, the Holy Spirit's available to you to bring to life all of those things that may seem that they may be dead within you. So I want to highlight a couple of things. We're going to be reading around chapters 1 and 2. We're going to be skipping backwards and forwards. So if you can get your Bible out, and I do believe now it comes in print. So the first thing to say about the work of the Holy Spirit and the restoration process of the human heart is this, that he is a picture of new birth. The very fact that the Israelites have been given back their city, Jerusalem, been reestablished in their homeland, brought to that place of reconnecting with God, is a picture to us of God reconnecting us to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today who happens to be born again? Three. Any advance on three? (laughs) Well, what's happened to you is simply this, that God has restored relationship. Once you were alien, once you were, were opposed 
to God himself by your willful sinfulness, but Jesus came from heaven to earth, gave his life freely, died on a cross, went to hell, rose from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven as the scriptures foretold. And he did all of that, all of that, so that you could be restored to God the Father. You, like the book of Nehemiah, are a picture or a reflection to the world of a God who redeems. And these people in this story have their homeland back and they have their city back, but their recovery was incomplete. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, can I ask you a second question just to make sure we're clear about what I mean? Has your relationship with God been restored? Okay, second question. Are you a perfect example of someone who lives in relationship with God? No. <laughs> no, thank you. Let me explain what I mean. Your spirit has been born again. Amen. God has started this glorious work in you. Amen. His power is visible. It's tangible. It's moving. It's changing. It's transforming you. But you're not fully recovered yet. Do you sometimes leak? <laughs> is it possible that you could say you believe something and then some days not live like you believe something? Is it possible also that although you've been forgiven much, you may actually have some unforgiveness in your life? Is it possible that fear sometimes overwhelms you? Anxiety interrupts your progress. Is it possible that you find solace in things that are second and not first in your life? That you can end up getting connected with all kinds of things that actually don't reflect the truth that you're born again. I'm trying to help you understand that although relationship has been restored, rulership has yet to be fully restored. Now in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created Adam and Eve for relationship. Can you imagine what it would have been like to wake up and see the face of God? As God formed Adam in the dust, taking time over all of those glorious curves and you know, parts of him, and he breathes, the Ruach of God breathes into the nostrils of God. And I love this thought. It's probably not fully theologically formed, but it all started with a kiss. That the breath of God came into humanity. We woke up to intimacy and we were connected to God in relationship. But not only did God intend for us to have relationship, in Genesis chapter 1, it goes on to tell us that he created the birds of the air and the, the animals in the field and the trees. And, and man was given something more than just relationship. He was given rulership. It was the, the idea of God and the plan of God that man would rule over all the earth. That man would have a responsibility and indeed an authority to shape the world around him. So we may have had our relationship restored, but my question to all of us today is this. Is there not still areas of our life where our rulership needs to be restored? Where the walls of our human experience have been broken down? Maybe the gates into our soul have been torn apart. And the enemy can come in and he can trample all over what God is doing in our lives. And so we find ourselves caught up in this rhythm of loving him and delighting in him, but not always being able to live fully for him. There are parts of us that are still yet to be restored. Areas of our human soul that need his healing touch. Sometimes our mind and our, and our lives are caught up in a trajectory that speaks like a, a life that is without Christ when we know that we have Christ in us. So the first thing we notice about Nehemiah as he steps towards the glorious restoration of the city of Jerusalem is that he is interested in restoring relationship. These people have been brought back to their homeland. And look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3 about this. Because although relationship was restored, recovery was yet to be completed. Nehemiah 1 verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. 
but they are in great trouble and disgrace. Has anyone like me had someone say this to them over the course of their journey with Christ? Call yourself a Christian. Come on, keep it honest, we're in church. I remember once, whenever uh, I was trying to avoid somebody, I was living at home when I first became a Christian, I was trying to avoid somebody, and the phone kept ringing, the phone kept ringing, it was an agent, and I didn't want to speak to them about this work that they were offering me, and my mother picked up the phone eventually, and she handed it to me after she said on the phone, he's here now. (laughs) And as she handed me the phone, she said, call yourself a Christian. You see, my heart was restored to connection with Christ, but my soul was broken. There's parts of me that still lived like I didn't know Jesus, that I struggled at times to even do it right or get it right. Can anybody identify with that? So just like these people in the story, they've been brought back to a place of recovery. God has rebirthed their city, rebirthed their connection with Him, and they still have areas of their lives that are broken, incomplete. This is the reason he says, Nehemiah 1 verse 3, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Church, is the wall of your heart broken down? Do you find yourself doing things you don't want to do? Are there areas of your soul that God is yet to heal and restore? And its gates have been burnt with fire. Has the fire of human experience destroyed some of the places where you used to be strong, but now you're weak, where the battle is consistent and you need God to do something? This is what it says in verse 4, Nehemiah's response to that news. And this is a reflection of the ministry of the Holy Spirit over these areas of our hearts and lives. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So we've been born again. And God has set up home in our hearts and lives. But our walls The parts of our soul, our human understanding, our intellect, our feelings, our emotions, they are broken and they need him to continue his work. We love God. We want to live for God. But somehow we find ourselves struggling with all kinds of issues. Sometimes the enemy comes in and he begins to trample all over everything that God is doing in our hearts and lives. And so we try harder But the truth is we need our walls to be restored. We need God to work in and with us to restore the broken gates where the enemy can come in and take and destroy what God is doing. So the first picture we have is of that restoration process. It's begun. Now, I just want to say this to you because I often find when I talk about inner healing or restoration, we get a little bit wearied by that process. Is there anybody else like me? But I promise you this, this is a truth from the Word of God. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed. And we don't go to bed at night thinking, I did well today. We go to bed at night and thinking, gosh, Holy Spirit, you were amazing today. Because I wanted to go that way and you took me that way. Have you ever noticed that? When we start to recognize His presence and His purpose in bringing us into our fullness, And I believe this is his heart for us as a community. We need to be as well as we can be. Because if we're not, the enemy will steal from us the things that God wants to do in us. And also, the world around us will not take our testimony seriously. People will have serious doubts over what you say you believe. So we're born again. Restored relationship. And God has brought us back into community with himself. And it's that love that begins to cause our souls to flourish. Out of that love, we start to have desires for things that prior to Christ, we probably had no interest in. And we start to lose desire for things that prior to Christ, we had a great interest in. The Holy Spirit is a master at bringing people back into recovery. Now, we can see that Nehemiah was separated from his people in Jerusalem. 
And there was a time when the Holy Spirit just lived in heaven. And in the Old Testament, he came upon people for the purposes of God. But you know, I want to remind you of this, that he has now come to live inside of you. Greater is he who is in you than anything you face in this world. You have the power of God at your disposal to live the life that Christ has indeed invited you to. It's not just your human effort alone. It's God's power at work in you, working out his purposes to restore you. Now, why were we broken in the first place? How did our walls become so impoverished? Well, I don't know what your life was like before you came to Jesus Christ, but I kind of I got up to a few things. Did anybody else? I got connected to a few things that weren't good. Anybody else in the room? You know, I knew some things weren't good for me, but I did them anyway. Is there anybody else like me? I remember the very first time I stole something. Don't worry, it wasn't last week. I was probably about 10 or 11 years of age and there was my brother and I were competing over a girl that he liked and I just wanted to prove that I could get her. And, and we were down in Stourport, just outside of Birmingham with the caravan that my mom and dad had and we went to the chemist shop and she mentioned that she liked these set of Foster Grant glasses. Do you remember Foster Grant glasses? No? Nobody's over 30 here, please. <laughs> Come on, tell the truth. And they were reactor-like glasses, and they were the big thing at the time. Have you seen reactor-like glasses? Yes, the minute a light comes on, it's a, it's a problem to me if I wear them in the house, because when I open the fridge, I can't see a thing. So I took them. <gasps> I took them. And I took them for her. And I remember siding up to her and saying to her, you know, choose me. <laughs> Because not only am I better looking, but I come bearing gifts. She didn't choose me. But the problem with that was this. You see, I had such a problem with my conscience. Do you know, I kept thinking that every policeman I thought would know I'd taken the glasses. In fact, that sense of guilt about those things went on for many, many months until I took something else. And over time, it faded. So when you've opened yourself up to some things prior to knowing Jesus, and just because he's come into your heart and into your life, doesn't mean that everything in your life changes instantly. We have to work with God to change our character. We have to apply his word and not allow our emotions or our sensualities to lead us. God has shown me through the book of Nehemiah that the reason for the brokenness in many human lives is the things that we have been involved in. Some of us have taken drugs. Some of us have had sex outside of marriage. Some of us have been involved in all kinds of things, trying to find a sense of purpose. And it's not that God has amnesia and forgets all that we've been through. In fact, there's nothing hidden from him. He starts his work in restoring us in the areas where we are the most broken. He has a plan and he's working to it. When I first became a Christian, you know, I was so full of the Holy Spirit and so in love with God. And uh, I remember saying to him, probably about a week or so into that relationship, God, is there anything that you want me to do? And I felt he said this to me. He said, go and ask your father to forgive you. Now, can I just say something about this? If anyone needed to have this happen, it was my father asking me to forgive him. My father was a very difficult man and I suffered rejection and beatings and all kinds of things at his hand. And in many ways, that shaped my life and caused me to get connected to a whole bunch of things I probably wouldn't have chosen otherwise. Looking for the right thing, I suppose, in all the wrong places. 
And so the Holy Spirit began speaking to me and he said, go and ask your father to forgive you. Now, I thought I was pretty okay. I tried to help in the house. I was a good boy. I looked after things. I took care of my mom. I've worked since I was five years of age on the stage. So what was I asking him to forgive me for? And I don't know about you, but sometimes God asks you to do things you just don't feel good about. And it doesn't look fair. (laughs) And it didn't seem right. Well, you know, it took three days of the Holy Spirit pressing in on me and eventually I seized my moment. I picked his most vulnerable hour, which was around 10 o'clock at night. He was getting ready to go to bed and he was in the bathroom. He came across the landing and I came downstairs in floods of tears because I could feel the presence of God. And I said to him, Dad, will you forgive me for not being a good son? Now, everything about that just felt wrong. It just felt wrong on a hundred levels. And he looked at me and he swore (laughs) and he told me to go away. You can fill in the blanks, can't you? (laughs) And I turned and went back to be with God, crying and sobbing and weeping and saying, God, why would you ask me to do such a thing? And why would you tell me to say that to him? Shouldn't, Shouldn't I be forgiving him? And this little phrase came to mind. Today, Simon, you've just unlocked the healing of your soul. You see, we all have areas of brokenness in our lives. And God knows where the key is. He knows exactly how to release you from things that have held you captive for many years. He hasn't forgotten a single day. The good ones, the bad ones. And trust me, if you've had a life like me, there's been some ugly ones. Everything that took place on those days, he knows exactly what it did to me, what it cost me, how I responded to it. And he is impeccable and powerful at giving us the key to open up deep love relationship with him, but also to close down the things that have kept us captive for so many years. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. This is why their walls were in disrepair. You have acted very, we have acted very wickedly towards you, God. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled, people are the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. The Holy Spirit has come into your world and come into your life to gather all of us who are scattered and bring us back into relationship with God. And our brokenness is a big deal to him because it stops us from moving forward in relationship with him. The third thing about the Holy Spirit that's worth mentioning in the book of Nehemiah is his desire to make us born again. You see, I for many years struggled with that phrase, did not fully understand what it meant, and I'm still playing catch up because there's so much that's, that's written in that particular uh, phrase in the Bible. Salvation is a big deal, amen? It's a big deal, and I think we'll spend all of eternity discovering new and beautiful things about what it means to be saved. But the process of restoration has to happen through a reconnection with God. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you may be a good person. You may even be religious. You may turn up here regularly. But if you have not been born again, God has not got access to you to restore your life. Sometimes we want God to do things for us, but we haven't done the one thing that gives us access to everything that God has for us. We haven't given him our life. We haven't offered him our heart. Now, I encourage you today, I don't know who you are, I could be speaking to an individual, or maybe there's more than one, perhaps five or six, but going to church does not make you a Christian. Do you know why I know that? Because I go to McDonald's and as yet I'm not a hamburger. I heard that whisper, you look more like a hamburger than you do a Christian. I heard it. (laughs) Being a Christian and being reconnected to God is the most precious beginning point 
to all restoration in our souls. Our sin has separated us from God and through the wonderful work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, his shed blood, we can come home to relationship with him. And God wants to bring us back into that relationship. If you don't know him today, please don't leave without chatting to one of us about what it means to give your heart and give your life to Jesus. God wants to restore you in relationship, but he also wants to restore you in rulership. We can have a good relationship with God. You know, for many, many years, I thought that that's what it was all about. If I just love the Lord, if I just enjoy the Lord, if I just worship the Lord. But the truth is, I, I need more than just a good relationship with God. I need that which has been lost as a result of my sin restored to me. And that is my capacity to rule my life with Christ. I have not been given a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. In other words, I need to be alert about what is or isn't valuable to me. All things are permissible to me. In other words, my free will will never be taken from me, but not all things are beneficial to me. If I want to grow as a Christian and I want to be healed as a person and I want God to restore my life, I've got to work with the Spirit, not work against the Holy Spirit. Now, God's ultimate plan for us is found in Romans 5, verse 17. It says that those who receive abundance of grace, is that you today? Did Jesus, through grace and mercy, give you a new life? Come on, did Jesus, through grace and mercy, give you a new life? And of the gift of righteousness, has Christ given you a new righteousness? Hello? He's given us a new righteousness, not a righteousness that comes from legalism or practicing the law, but a righteousness that comes from Christ himself, the righteousness of Christ, that that righteousness and that grace and that abundance will cause us to reign in life, reign in life. Now, before we go off on a tangent about what that looks like, you're never going to conquer the world if you can't, with the Holy Spirit, conquer yourself. You know, I've been in meetings where people are tearing down strongholds and I have to be honest, sometimes I think, start at home. Put your own house in order. Do a bit of spring cleaning for goodness sake. I know it's nearly October, but spring cleaning can happen at any point of the year in the heart of a Christian. We need God to cleanse and to heal us and restore us. And sometimes I think people are guilty of believing that we can reign in life and actually not reign in our hearts and in our lives. In other words, our lives are tossed about by all kinds of emotional disruption and disturbances, and we're not walking in the rhythm and the progress that the Holy Spirit has for us. Is there anyone here today who would like to reign over their own heart and life with God? like to partner with God to rule and reign? Is there anyone here today whose emotions sometimes lead them and their faith gets forgotten? Come on, talk to me, please. Is there anyone here who, with the best of intentions, says, God, I'm going to serve you, and then somebody treats you harshly and it's all over? You know, here I am, send me, and then somebody's sent to you and it's all done. Do you ever find that your, your, your emotions steal your destiny? How about this? How about working with the Spirit, partnering with the Spirit, so that all of those feelings can be harnessed and directed towards the purpose of God, which is that you, who the Son sets free, would be free indeed. So we have this wonderful promise that the Holy Spirit has come, not just to restore relationship, but to restore rulership. God is at work in your life to strengthen your resolve to live for him. Amen. Amen. I just love that thought. I could hang there for another 10 minutes, but time is ticking by. The fourth thing about this particular book that's interesting to me is the Holy Spirit, through the person Nehemiah, was sent by the king. Jesus, in the New Testament, in John chapter 14, verse 16, says these words. He said, And I will ask the Father the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. You see, Nehemiah in chapter 2 verse 4 says this. It's almost like an echo of the same words. 
And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, sent to us by God himself. Fully God and fully given over to us that we may become visible, tangible evidences of a new and glorious people that God is restoring to their fullest. I am so grateful for that. The fifth thing that Nehemiah models to us is this. Nehemiah brought authority to a downtrodden people. Do you ever think about how you engage with your problems and perhaps imagine what it would look like for you to have greater authority over the enemy? Or great authority over the dynamics of your heart in relationship? You see, sometimes with all the best will in the world, we find ourselves caught up in a narrative with somebody else and they're making us feel and even act in certain ways. It's important for us to identify that that is the case. And how many times have you promised, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to hang out with them again. Hello? I'm not going to go there again. To find yourself like a dog tied to a stake. You just keep going back and back and back to the same things that actually you're trying to avoid. The Apostle Paul picks it up in the New Testament. He says this, O wretched man that I am, the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Can anybody identify with his pain? I can identify with his pain. Well, here's the problem we all have. We don't recognize or realize that we don't have to partner with those things anymore. If you're born again here today, your willpower has been restored. Once you could not choose, now you can choose. Once you were held by sin, now you can withhold yourself from sin. God has restored authority in your heart and in your life. Don't let your emotions lie to you. Please, please, please. God has restored authority in your life. When I first became a Christian, I, I was living openly as a homosexual man. And God did a work in my heart of such a, a magnitude. To this day, I'm still trying to work it all out, if I'm honest with you. But actually, I had to choose not to think certain things. Now, trust me, they came and were very powerful, very powerful. But I had to choose to engage my mind. And here's the simple equation. Does this bring me closer to the identity that God has for me? Just a simple equation. Is this beneficial to my fullness? Does it draw me into a deeper place of relationship with God? Or does it take me away from the very thing I desire the most in my life, which is to know him? You see, without knowing I have authority, without knowing that it's been restored to me, without recognizing that this new creature in Christ has a capacity to choose life and not death, I will consistently be caught up with decisions that I think I have no power over. Here's how I know you have authority. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus uses these words as he commissions the disciples to change the world. He says, all authority, say all. All, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. I now give it to you. Go make disciples of all people. It's your authority that releases his power. You have to say yes to a few things. Amen. You have to say no to a few other things. No one's going to do it for you because you've been given an authority as an overcomer to overcome all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have an authority over the enemy. You have an authority in your relationships. You have an authority in your brokenness. You have to keep partnering with that authority until that brings that whole thing to a place of reality. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do something. I don't know if you pray those prayers. Oh God, if, if you would just stop them from harassing me. Here's a wild thought. Stop them yourself. Oh God, my mind is full of this and it's full of that. Here's a wild thought. Have a new thought. 
Whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, these things think upon. Oh God, you know, I just, I feel so insecure. Well, here's a new thought. You have been chosen by the true and living God. You are a child of grace, fathered by God, given a new life, hope restored, joy given over to you. So what if they don't like you? So what if they don't get you? We can't keep on expecting God to do something for us that we have been given the authority to do for ourselves. Take every thought captive, every vain imagination that sets itself up against the purposes of God. Now church, can I labor this a little bit with you? Some of us have not moved on because we haven't recognized we have the power to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And I believe that with God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, he will give us the strength and the courage to choose what is right over that which is wrong. It always amazes me that people have walked with Jesus for 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years, and they're still as broken as they were the day they got saved. They haven't moved past in unforgiveness. They haven't stepped away from, from insecurity. They haven't stepped out of fear and anxiety. Come on. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. You have a power over your circumstances. And you have a power over your emotions. You have an authority that's being restored to you through the work of the Spirit and your new life in Christ. And all you need to do is keep partnering with it and partnering with it until it becomes normal to you. And at first it seems really clumsy and awkward, but eventually it'll start to have its ease. I believe that one of the ways that God transformed my life was by me keeping agreeing with what he said about me. As I kept agreeing with what he said about me and letting go of some identity issues that were not helpful and they led me further away from my truest self, I began to be changed. I was changed through the renewing of my mind as his word facilitated his purposes. And I stand here today and I take no credit for it at all. All I did was choose life. All I did was choose Christ. Whatever work has happened in me, it's happened because of choices I've made partnering with the God who gave me authority. I don't have to be subject to my emotions. I don't have to be confined by my past. You see, I have this saying, and you're probably going to hear me say it many times here. If something happens to me once or twice, I'm a victim. If it happens to me three or four times, I'm a volunteer. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? You know, I am not going to volunteer. I am not. Do you hear me, church? I am not going to volunteer and partner with something that's not true about my life. I am not going to do it. I don't need to do it. I don't have to do it. So Nehemiah brought authority to a downtrodden people. Aren't you grateful that the Holy Spirit brings authority to ordinary lives like yours and mine, and we get to choose to live for Christ. I have decided is my constant song. Not I decided on Sunday and by Tuesday I'm not quite sure. By Wednesday it's all over. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. So Nehemiah brought authority to a downtrodden people and the Holy Spirit has brought authority to a whole bunch of broken people in this room. Let me read you what it says in Nehemiah about this. Nehemiah 2, chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Ashaf, keeper of the royal park, 
So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. You know how this works out practically? The enemy comes in and he reminds you, okay, of who you were. He comes in and he draws your memory back to something that you've done. He can never talk about your future because he's only had authority in your past. Okay, so you need to remind him of a few things. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the standard we lift up is this. My God has saved me. My debt has been resolved. I am healed by the power of the name of Jesus. His blood is sufficient for me. You know, you've got an authority. You've got letters. You've got the Word of God. The Word of God is your contract between you and the Spirit that what He says is true and who you are is free in Jesus' precious name. You don't need to go back over the old. You need to start picking up on the new. God wants you to pick up on the new life He's given you. You've lived that one. It didn't work out too good. Pay attention to this one. I remember once in Glasgow, someone coming to me and they said this to me. They said, Pastor, I can't give up smoking. I said, why is that? He said, I'm, I'm addicted to, to nicotine. Now, I'm a compassionate person. I understand what addiction can be like. And then he said, you, you'd never know about those types of things, would you? <laughs> and I said, well, actually, I don't think I've ever smoked. I tried it once and I coughed up my lungs and, you know, I'd like to keep them. So I thought it probably wasn't a good idea to repeat it. I said, but I, I know what it's like to be addicted. I know what it's like to have your mind filled with carnal lusts. I know what it's like to have ingrained into my soul a sense of who I am that is so, um, so powerful that every single day of my life and every single moment of my life, I have to keep reminding me I'm a child of God. I know what it's like to label myself as somebody who does this with his body sexually. And I know what it's like to fight to adopt the posture of a son, a son who's bought by the precious blood of Jesus and live in that reality. So no, I've never smoked a cigarette. But the truth is, I think my problem and my addiction was probably greater than yours. And the reality is this, that if God can do this for me and he can change my life, he can do anything for you. He can do anything for you. If God can transform my life from the life it was to the life it's become, he can heal your heart. He can restore your life. He can satisfy your addiction. You see, he said, there's no love in your sentence. I said, I beg to disagree, young man. There is more love in my sentence than you could ever imagine. Because if I was to agree with you that you can't give up cigarettes, then in 10 years time, whenever the diagnosis comes, you will remember this conversation God is in you. He's with you. He has an authority that he's given you. You can do whatever you want to do through Christ who strengthens you. It's time to make up your mind if you want to do that. And the glorious truth is he did decide to give up cigarettes. And God filled his mouth with glory. God filled his mouth with glory. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And became a preacher for freedom's sake. Now time is ticking and I know that you're wanting to rush home for your chicken dinner. So I don't want to hold us up too long, but a couple of more things. Nehemiah came to a broken people who had been restored to their birthplace and to their city. And God had began a great thing and it was still impoverished. And some Balat and Tobiah kept coming in and stealing all that God was doing amongst them. But he came to lead and I want to say this to you, church, and it, I say it with respect. I think all of us would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Would I be right? Give me a wave if that's you. In fact, as Pentecostals, we, we love being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, more, more. But you know, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be led by the Holy Spirit is folly. And Nehemiah came to work, but he also came to lead. He didn't do the whole job himself. He didn't 
roll up his sleeves and start building the wall. He went to the pockets of the community and activated them in the rebuilding process. You know, this restoration of your soul, you can't sit back and think it's just going to happen. You see, God has subjected the advances of his kingdom in and through you to your partnership. You need to work with the Holy Spirit. So how do we work with the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, we come into a place of partnership. And then we start to do whatever he asks us to do. You know that when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's not just giving us advice. He's not just saying, look, here's one of your many options. He's God. He knows the options. He's telling you the way forward. It's not just a dialogue about a conversation. I'll tell you what I think you should do, Simon, and now you just reflect back to me what you think you should do. He's God. He knows the end before the beginning. He knows everything about everything. He's not offering me advice. It's not a discussion point. When he speaks, I should come straight into partnership, straight into agreement, straight into alignment. And as I come into alignment with the work he's doing in me, I start to move forward in the plan that God has for me. So many people call him Lord, but don't do as he asks them to do. So many people cry out for God to intervene. And when he speaks, they ignore his voice and they make up their mind using common sense or the wisdom of a friend. If the Lord is speaking to you, if the Spirit is speaking to you, He can only lead you to life. He can only lead you to freedom. And trust me, of all the advisors you will have, He is simply the most intelligent. He knows everything about everything. You would be mad not to come into partnership with Him. When He starts to speak, you say, yes, Lord, how do we do this? Where do we do this? Where are we going as a result of this? Nehemiah didn't do all the work himself. He involved the people in the process of restoration. He went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed. So I've tried my best this morning to encourage you to live in the reality that although our relationship with God has been restored fully and completely and is growing consistently, we need also to be restored in our rulership. There are parts of our hearts and parts of our lives that are like the walls of Jerusalem. They're lying in ruin. And we have the greatest architect who is with us, who knows how to bring restoration and to finish that which God has started. Nehemiah is a picture to us of our wonderful friend, the Holy Spirit, who knows everything about everything and lives in us and desires for us to be free. Who the Son has set free will be free indeed. There are three things as we draw this conversation to a close we need to pay attention to. The first one is this, partner with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your greatest cheerleader. Here's the truth, church. He knows everything about God and everything about you. You will never find someone who cares as deeply for your recovery and your restoration as the Holy Spirit. He is even now as I speak, touching areas of your heart and your life. He's been working with you this week to open you up to freedom, to open you up to healing, to open you up to life. He's not some optional extra we can't get there on our own. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the Holy Spirit. We need him more than we realize. And we fail to recognize his leading more than we care to admit. The Holy Spirit is with you and he's for you. And he will lead you to all that Christ has indeed purchased for you. Please, please, please allow him to do that. For our brokenness affects the reputation of Jesus in our families and in our contexts. And he has come to build the walls of our human soul, to bring life where there's death 
and to stop the enemy from breaking in on us consistently and stealing what Christ has done for you and me. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let the Holy Spirit identify the broken parts of your human soul. How many of us have tried to self-help? How many of us have found out it turned into self-harm? You see, in our economy, we may think certain things are priority. But the Holy Spirit who is with us, he knows exactly, exactly what the Father wants to bring life to in your heart and in your life. That night when I was struggling with talking to my father about forgiveness, it wouldn't have been my choice to do that. But God knew that the restoration of my life depended on me seeking my father's forgiveness for not being the son that he wanted. It felt very inappropriate. All of these years later, with all that happened between my dad and I, many years later, 25, 26 years later, I took his hand as he gasped his very last breaths on this earth. And the man who detested me allowed me to lead him into the arms of the server who delighted in me. God has a plan. God has a plan. And he will lead you to life. You can't lead yourself to life. He who began it knows exactly what's next and what's next and what's next. And furthermore, church, don't go looking for dirt in your life. Taking a casual glimpse at your soul will horrify you. It really will horrify. That's why Paul, the apostle, says, fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> fix them on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. If we start fixing them on ourselves, we will be so overwhelmed by what we see. But if the Holy Spirit is bringing something to the surface, now there's someone here you need to forgive your father. You need to forgive your father. You are held captive because you haven't forgiven your father. And forgiveness is not letting somebody off the hook. Forgiveness is letting you off somebody else's hook. You need to forgive your father. Some of you need to repent of some things. You've got caught up in some stuff. You just need to get out of it. It goes round and round and round in your life. It's like a cycle. You just need to get out of it. The Holy Spirit is already speaking to you about this. God is talking to you about this. And don't think you can't do it. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Don't allow your emotions to lead you in this season of your life. Be true to what you know to be right in the Word of God and just partner with that. Some of us are in addiction here. You have an authority over your addiction. Please don't believe the propaganda that you hear. You have an authority over your addiction. I'm speaking to someone. Don't partner with a label that someone's placed on you. I'm going to say something now I'll probably get into trouble for. I remember once going to an AA meeting, not because I was an alcoholic, but I had so many friends that were, I thought I should find out what goes on. So I went to an AA meeting and you know, they were people who wanted to be free. But this is what they would say, the opening of every meeting. And if you've ever been, you know it's like this. Hello, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, my name is Sarah and I'm an alcoholic. Do you know, I, I couldn't stay. Not because I didn't care about what's happening to the people, but how can you ever be free if you're partnering with who you used to be? Every time you come into agreement with who you used to be, you're not coming into agreement with who you're becoming. We need to partner with the right things. So you're sitting here today and you have an addiction and you're partnering with it. You say, that's just who I am. That's just the way I am. I've got a fractured soul. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus heals fractured souls. God can set captives free. Hallelujah. God does this stuff. When we work with him, he does this stuff. I'm sorry, I'm laboring it because it's life and death to a person here. I don't know who you are, but it's life and death to you. The third thing and the final thing is this. Do whatever the Holy Spirit asks you to do. Because if you truly want to be free and you want God to bring liberty and, and joy and fullness and blessing to the areas of your life where there's disrepair, then work with him. Don't work against him. If God asks you to forgive somebody, forgive them. You don't have to feel anything. You just have to disagree with some things and agree with some other things. God will also 
put you in community for the very purpose that you want to avoid it. He will place around you some people that will really get on your nerves. Don't look to the left or to the right. We don't want anyone to fall out with you today. Okay? Because all that he wants to do, as you partner with the Holy Spirit, as you allow him to identify those areas of your lives, he wants to bring you back to connectivity with those around you. Because when our life is broken, we stand at a distance from relationships, never really wanting or even maybe believing that who we are is acceptable in the eyes of other people. I can honestly say, and you don't know me that well, but there were times and seasons in my life where I was frightened to even go in a room. And now look what God has done. There were times and seasons in my life because of the way I'd lived that I wouldn't speak on a platform. I've been singing since I was four. I'd never announce a song. And look what God has done in my life. I'm not saying that I'm anything, but I think he's everything. And, and the reality for all of us here is sometimes it would be easier to avoid relationships. <laughs> but God has placed us in his family. And the person sitting next to you is as much in need of God's recovery in their life as you are. That's why there's no room in the church for judgment. There's no room in the church for criticism. There's no room in the church for those things because it's just one broken person sitting next to another broken person, both looking up at the heavens and saying, where's the beauty of God? Where's the beauty of God that will redefine my reality, that will cause me to live victoriously? Where's the beauty of God that will set this captive free? And as God sets me free, I take you by the arm and I drag you with me to the freedom that I'm enjoying because we're family, we're connected. By blood, we've been connected. God has rebirthed us into his family. I can't do this recovery thing on my own. I need you and you need me and we're better together than we are as individuals. And so I leave it there. Romans 5 verse 17 tells us what this fulfillment of recovery can look like. It says that those who receive abundance of grace, is that you as Christ revealed his grace to you? And of the gift of righteousness, is that not true of you if you're a born again believer? Will reign in life through the one. Who is that one? Jesus Christ.